I'm going to build a big design thinking innovation consultancy, right? And I said, I'm going to hire some of the smartest, most interesting people who I liked, had a really good affiliation with, and I brought them on board thinking we're going to do just gangbusters. Mm -hmm. But they had high expectations in terms of salary, wages, income. I spent ton of money investing in bringing them on board. And that combined with the market crash in 2008, it was like the perfect storm. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I bet you're exposed to investment risk right now. To reduce it, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist I've made specifically for you, my podcast listeners, based on the lessons I've learned from all of my guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A.E. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Andrew Peck. Andrew, are you ready to rock? Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> yes, something behind you for the audio, for the people who are listening to the podcast and not viewing the video, there's a guitar behind Andrew. So let's rock and roll. Well, let me introduce you to the audience. Andrew Peck is an internationally recognized authority on innovation, design thinking, and entrepreneurship. From startup to mature companies, Andrew has helped organizations such as Bear, Citigroup, Pfizer, and Steelcase become more innovative. Andrew has been invited to speak worldwide and his views on innovative leaders, change management and design thinking have been featured on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, the New York Times, Investor Business Daily and the Chicago Tribune. Goodness, Andrew, take a moment and introduce a little bit more about yourself. <laughs> well, thank you first, Andrew, for having me on your show. It is an absolute delight and pleasure to uh, be here. Boy, when you listen to that sort of biographical sketch, I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed, actually. You know, you work so hard to achieve these sorts of things. But really, I'd like your listeners to get to know me a little bit more personally and better. I live in New York in the Hudson Valley area, just about 18 miles north of Manhattan. I have a beautiful wife, four kids two of whom are, have already left the house and out and doing their careers, and soon to be a proud owner of a Hungarian Vizsla, energetic Hungarian Vizsla dog, if you're familiar with that. Brand. I'm not familiar. What, what does it look like? It's kind of like a Weimaraner, for those of you, the German dog, short-haired, but it's kind of reddish, brownish mm. kind of color, very sort of lean, athletic body, which I love to exercise. And where I live in the Hudson Valley, there's all these trails. So it's great to keep yourself fit with a dog that is equally energetic. And why the Hungarian? Well, my parents are originally from Hungary. They were immigrants to the United States. Uh, they came to the U.S. in the 1950s. They came to Cleveland, Ohio, which is a strong ethnic, you know, Eastern European sort of hub where I grew up. That's where I was born, but then came to New York, been here for 30 some years. Professionally, well, you kind of heard a little bit about that. I'm a dyed-in-the-wall entrepreneur and innovator around design thinking, innovation, change management. Been very privileged to work with some of the top corporations and top leaders 
on almost every major continent, with the exception of Antarctica. I've worked with some really interesting people and blessed along the way, I've written a few books mm. uh, on the subject of creativity and innovation, which is always fun, and have my own podcast like you, which is like really cool because I get to hang out and talk to interesting people like yourself. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. So many different things that I had thought about. You know, my family immigrated from Germany to the U.S., but it was in 1839. They went to Pittsburgh, and then I grew up outside of Cleveland in a little town called Hudson. But sure. yes, all the communities of Cleveland are so many different ethnic groups. And, you know, that's one of the kind of cool things that I enjoyed about Cleveland. And uh, yeah, the other thing I'm just thinking about, you know, in this day and age, innovation and design thinking and all of this stuff, it's like, it's a huge subject area. I guess maybe you could just tell us just a little tidbit of something about what you've learned about that or how we should think about that. You know, I'd love to hear, you know, some, just any of, any of the thoughts that you have about that subject. Sure. I mean, it's, you know, in short, it's a disciplined process. Oftentimes people think of design thinking or innovation as this brainstorming. We go to the whiteboard and do all kinds of post-it notes. Yes, there's an aspect of that, but in short, it's a disciplined process of creativity and critical thinking structured where you, use market data insights, business data, consumer insights to really sort of suss out what are the opportunities. And then through some creativity and critical thinking, make the right and best choices, which is sort of ironic because I know you'll be asking me, you know, what my worst investment is. I was not practicing what I preach. <laughs> so we all um, have our weaknesses at times. Yes, exactly. The shoemaker's children don't wear shoes, you know, kind of syndrome. <laughs> So, by the way, before we get into it, just tell the audience about your podcast and what they should expect when they go there. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a Dyden Wolf consultant and entrepreneur and author in the area of design thinking and innovation. That's my sort of subject matter of expertise. But because I, I was a partner at Accenture many years ago, and I've, I've been an advisor to many. And it's interesting because years ago, because I teach at many different universities in the States, they asked me, would you teach a course on consulting? And I love that sort of challenge because I said there wasn't really anything around there for the brethren, if you will, mm. consultants. And so that gave birth to a program, an online program and podcast that I developed called Consulting Unplugged. So my, my website is consultingunplugged.com, where I speak to many interesting entrepreneurs, innovators, executives, advisors, designers, creatives, you name it, actors even, and how they, you know, use consultative skills to influence others to commit to action. And so it's great fun to get their, that sort of that behind the scenes look at some of the challenges that they face and whispering into very powerful, influential executives and others and how they support and advise them around their business challenge. So mm. fascinating. Uh, yeah. So for the listeners out there, we'll have all that links to the podcast, to the website, and all of that in the show notes. So check it out. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since nobody ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. 
<laughs> you know, I, when I, I gave this a lot of thought. I said, is it fair to say my first wife? <laughs> because I was, <laughs> I was divorced, but we won't go there. Let me tell you about my worst investment ever, because I really th- thought of this. It had uh, huge financial consequences, but it really dealt with the wrong choices of people whom I had hired when I first started my business. Very interesting. So give you context. As I mentioned, I was a partner at Accenture. I was used to, I had global responsibility, big staff, big team, big budget, all that sort of thing. Then I went back into corporate life where I was responsible for innovation at Pfizer. Same thing, really used to it, really bright people that I was surrounded with, an arsenal of resources at my beck and call. And so I was uh, very naive when I started my business, DXE Partners, with focused on, I thought, I'm going to build a big design thinking innovation consultancy, right? And I said, I'm going to hire some of the smartest, most interesting people who I liked, had uh, really good affiliation with, and I brought them on board thinking, we're going to do just gangbusters. But they had high expectations in terms of salary, wages, income. I spent ton of money investing in bringing them on board. And that combined with the market crash in 2008, it was like the perfect storm. Mm. You know, I, I couldn't believe it that I had no idea that trying to keep a payroll, I had about eight people and you, you can imagine the, the wages, you know, we did pretty well. I was the rainmaker. I knew how to sell work, which was what my skill was. But to be able to sustain that and not have other rainmakers or other people, all great, smart individuals. So it was nothing against them personally, but they were just not the right fit. Mm. And, and boy, oh boy, I learned the hard way and had to go through the painful process of letting everyone go, just about everyone, with the exception of my scheduler and administrative person. It was brutal. Mm. I can feel it. Yeah. And when can you can you remember the day that you realized that you had to do that? Yeah, it was uh, you know, February of 2009. Mm. You know, the prior year I had like really incredible earnings. I had a book coming out, you know, like I was like on top of the world. And I had several contracts. I remember two or three very good relationships came to me and they said, listen, we're going to have to cancel. These are legal, con- you know, but mm. were small. what negotiation power did I have? None. And it was, it was just brutal. And then I was all of a sudden looking at six, seven months of no cash, mm. no contract. You know, and, and it was like crickets too. When you heard nobody was returning calls because everybody was scrambling at that period of time. Yeah, I had a couple things like later in the year that like, well, okay, I you know, and of course, where does your concern go in the concerns of the people, the, the difficult conversations, my own personal finances? Like, holy smokes, this is now I'm gonna have to really dip into savings. I had owned a lot of real estate at the time. I mean, it was like a house of cards. Mm. Tough. So how would you summarize what you learned from this? Well, form follows function. What I did not do enough, and I alluded to that earlier, practice what I knew in terms of business development and innovation. You know, the, the essential to success in coming up with any new idea, business model or otherwise, or product, is what's desirable, doable, and viable. I had, I think, understood, generally speaking, what customers wanted, 
but I didn't have the right organizational structure to support that, the right resource and business model, because that affected the viability of my business. I remember one of the, my mentors who was supportive to my early work, Ken Blanchard, many people know, wrote yep. the One Minute Manager. Mm. One of the first things I asked him when I was sitting in his office in San Diego, he, I said, well, what did you learn? And I was thinking he's going to give me some, extol some virtues on leadership and, you know, following your heart. And he said, cash flow. <laughs> and, and, and I like, wow, no kidding. And that's what I learned is like, if I had spent more time really understanding what my customers want, what's the right business model, which will support it, and then coming up with the right profitable structure. It is so essential when you're thinking about starting something from scratch without any seed money. You know, if you have a technology, maybe you can raise some money and get some capital going and, and you can mitigate some of that risk. But even then you have to be smart about mm. how am I going to be successful? All the capital in the world can't overpower negative cash flow. Eventually, negative cash flow will win. So, no. I mean, there's a lot of there's you know a lot of great ideas there, but you know, actualizing them is another mm. thing altogether. So, let me summarize some of the things I take away from your story. I've been feverishly writing. Now, what was the thing you said? Doable, desirable. The three things you said there. Yeah. Desirable, doable, and viable. Desirable is viable. like really interesting. Who am I serving and what do they want or what is unmet to them? Mm. Doable is, you know, the, the, the capabilities, the technology, the resources to do it, right? Oh, I can actually serve this need. Yep. And the, the viable is like, can I make some money on this? Mm. You know, how do I monetize that? Yep. And yep. It's That's just, great. Yeah, it's critical to think in that, that way. And of course, I didn't apply that. And, mm. and, you know, I went more from the heart. I brought in yep. people that I loved and uh, we had a great time, but it was a mess. Yeah, so <laughs> some of the things that I'll, I'll share, my worst investment ever, in fact. And that was, I don't haven't shared it much. I should probably share it more. But my worst investment ever was a friend of mine who came to me with a very good idea of a internet-based company. And I invested in it and he worked through it. And eventually there came a time that I just realized that if we were going to take this to the next level, we need to raise three to 5 million US minimum to compete with the big boys. And most importantly, he had to be the right person to execute on the plan. And I kind of realized he just wasn't that so it got me to think about what went wrong for me. And I always describe it like this. First, you need trust. If you're going to invest in a startup or do a startup. And I definitely trusted him and I still do to this day. So I had trust. If you don't have trust, you know, might as well stop right there. First, mm -hmm. I had trust. Then the next question is the idea. Is the idea any good? Well, the idea was pretty good. The next question is, okay, if you got trust and the idea is good, can they execute? And it's that third. So it's a little bit, a little bit like what you're talking about. And then the Fourth thing, and this is all kind of pre-revenue startup stuff, so I haven't even thought about the product fit, you know, which you're already doing and some of that. But then the last thing is, does, is there capital or am I the only capital provider here? And I realize that you get trapped if you're the only capital provider. Now, if it's just your company, you have no choice but just to retreat and, you know, take care of the, the home base. So that's a first thing that you reminded me of. I think the other thing is, 
I, as an analyst, as a financial analyst, all my career, I built a successful career working for investment banks. And when I quit to set up my own company, I thought I can figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. You know, come on. How difficult can it be? Right. Well, starting my own business was way diff- more difficult than I thought. My, my core premise of what I thought I was going to sell, I went out to the market and I proposed it. I offered it and I got zero sales. And I realized uh, there was a little thing I missed here that these guys really can't pay for this from some independent startup company. And that brings me to the final thing, which is I've had a lot of people come on the show and they've talked about losing money in startups. So I decided recently to go more deep into that. And I went through all of the episodes that were related to startups. So I try to find out if there's some commonalities. And so here they are. And I, I saw some of them in what you said. So number one, most, most common mistake of a startup is bad hiring decisions. The second most common mistake of the startups that I've interviewed is poor management of time and people. Number three, ineffective teamwork and collaboration. Number four, my absolute favorite, waited too long to start selling. Number five is weak accounting and finance. And number six is low product quality. So I heard some of those come through as I listened to you. And so I brought that list up to revisit. But you have any thoughts on the things that I've just shared? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's brilliant. That if you did the reduction sauce, that's exactly what would be left in the pan. You know, you'd see those aspects in all. And I experienced them. And even to this day, you know, remember that and still try to work very hard and try to apply that same thinking because it's easy to sort of get caught in that same loop, right? Mm. So that's yep. what I love about your, your you know, how do, when you fail fast, right? You know, so that you can keep on learning, you know, you're going to make mistakes. And, and that is, I think, one of the essential lessons is forgive yourself. Hopefully it's not too catastrophic that you can recover. Mm. Yeah. But try not to repeat them. (laughs) Well, you know, that's the benefit of this podcast is that we get to go through that. And I think the other thing is that it helps people to understand why they should listen to you. And I believe that the person that comes on this podcast is willing to go through and step through their mistakes, evaluate them. And I believe that that tells us that that person's a better person to rely on than somebody that's just talking about their winners. So Mm -hmm. for the listeners out there, you know, Listen up, get in touch with, with Andrew and all the information's in the show notes. So feel free. Now, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And I can just imagine some people out there that are right at the cusp of starting their own business. Right, right. No, exactly. I, you know, again, I come back to that Venn diagram. Really understanding who your customer is. Who is it that you know you can provide a service to and grasping that? It's important to invest that time to grasp that. And I like to sort of refer to them as your ideal avatar, right? That you are trying to support. And then say, all right, what is it going to take? And come up with the minimum viable solution to that. I have a tendency to get away with my imagination runs amok and I think of all the you know elegant possibilities. That's partially because of my creativity bent, but also the experiences that I've had. I've had at my beck and call big organizations that work for, so they have plenty of resources you can tap into. But when you're trying to do it on your own, keep it simple. And then say, all right, how can I make money on this? And 
even if it's part of your strategy as a loss leader, you know, know that how is it going to turn a profit eventually? Mm. So if creativity or sorry, if uh, curiosity killed the cat, creativity, <laughs> creativity killed the startup. Right. It's exactly right. Nobody, you know, fed plenty of great brainstorming sessions and, uh, you know, pizza and bottles of wine, you know, come on with the, you know, the things that would save the world, you know, but then, you know, when you sober up, so to speak, the next thing say, all right, shoot, how am I going to make this? Bring it so? back to reality. Right. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, my number one goal is exactly what, you know, the lesson is, is to think very simply, how am I going to scale and monetize a solution? So I'm in the process. I have a very good product but it's not yet widely known. So I'm coming up with a strategy to scale it with through partnerships and licensing agreements, my online program, Consulting Unplugged, and to support that through some other mentoring systems. Much like you, I am often referred to as the consultant's consultant. And so I want to empower others to help apply some of these lessons in efficient sorts of ways. And so my goal is to scale these products through these different channels in a profitable way. Mm. And that's the key in a profitable way. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, to reduce risk in your life. So go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and download the risk reduction checklist and see how you measure up. As we conclude, Andrew, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Well, I sure do. You know, always stay present, dream big, and make each day count. Amen. I'll leave it at that. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott saying, I'll see you on the upside.